on right now with Jim Dawes on the Mojo 5 Radio Network. Your daily journal of news, politics, and culture from an America first perspective. Here to convince you that reality is usually scoffed at and illusion is usually king. We're streaming live on iHeartRadio and available as a podcast on iTunes, TuneIn, Spreaker, and Spotify. And you can follow me on Twitter at RightNowJimDawes. Or shoot me an email. The address is RightNowJimDawes at gmail.com. If you want to leave a voicemail, that number is 772-245-0750. Call the vent line and raise hell at 772-245-0750. Well, the president uh, had a real stem winder of a press conference last night, and if you missed it, uh, you might have missed this. Please go ahead. Um, well, I just tell you this. Uh, Roger Stone was treated very unfairly. Paul Manafort, the black book, turned out to be a fraud. We learned that out during the various last number of weeks and months. Uh, they had a black book that came out of Ukraine, turned out to be a fraud. Turned out to be a fraud. They convicted a man, turned out to be a fraud. General Flynn was a highly respected person, and it turned out to be a scam on him. The FBI said he didn't lie. And Mueller's people wanted him to go to jail. Okay? So what am I going to do? You'll find out what I'm going to do. I'm not going to say what I'm going to do. But I will tell you, the whole thing turned out to be a scam. Well, it was a scam, and the president's trying to make that clear. The problem is, you still got Paul Manafort sitting in jail. I I know he's in there for some tax charges. But the the Department of Justice had already looked at those tax uh, violations a year earlier and decided there was nothing there to prosecute. But uh, when Mueller and his gang rolled into town, they dusted that old case off, smeared him with a bunch of uh, Russia hoax innuendo uh, and this uh, this black book hoax out of the Ukraine, then convicted him on these tax charges. Uh, the, the judge there in the Virginia courtroom where those convictions came forward um, said that, you know, from the bench that you wouldn't even be in here if it weren't for this effort to try to smear Trump uh, with this Russiagate hoax. But uh, everybody is uh, now talking about whether or not the president's going to go ahead and issue these pardons. It is long past time that the president pardoned General Flynn. General Flynn was obviously entrapped. He would be the National Security Council, um, uh, the National Security Advisor today if Sally Yates and the other deep state snakes hadn't entrapped him in order to try to smear Trump. Actually, they had a, they were grinding an ax against Flynn all along because he had exposed the, uh, the total dereliction of duty that the Obama administration was exercising, um, fighting ISIS. They weren't really trying to defeat ISIS. Remember, um, at one point Obama said, well, defeating ISIS is going to be a generational struggle. Yeah generational struggle when uh, Trump came into office and took the reins off the military. It took them all of six months to defeat ISIS. But this clip continues. And it turned out to be a disgrace to our country. And it was a takedown of a duly elected president. And these people suffered greatly. 
General Flynn. I mean, what they did to him. And even the FBI said, and they had some, and nobody bigger fan of the FBI than me at the level of the people that really matter. He's trying to say the rank and file. But the top of the FBI was scum. And what they did to General Flynn, and you know it, and everybody knows it, was a disgrace. He was in the service for over 30 years. He ends up being a general and respected. Respected. And almost his first day in office, they come in with papers. They want to investigate him. Never happened before. And now the tables are turned. Investigate the investigators, I guess. These were crooked people. These are bad people. These are very dangerous people. You know what they are, though? They're scum. They're human scum. Well, they're human scum. I know that makes people feel um, vindicated when you hear the president say that, and it's absolutely true. They are human scum, what they did to violate their oath of office and and weaponize our intelligence agencies and law enforcement agencies uh, to go after the opposing party's presidential candidate was was absolutely, uh, I don't want to use that term treasonous because that tre- that term is misused a lot. The Constitution, uh, treason is the only crime that's actually defined, and it's defined as giving aid and comfort to the enemy in time of war. So they certainly violated their oath of office. They certainly uh, committed crimes. But the problem with the president coming out and calling them human scum on TV is Bill Barr and John Durham are trying to put together a case to uh, to take to you know court and get some convictions, prosecute these uh, these bad actors and get some convictions, and you can bet that if they if they do that, if they take it to a case, uh, if they take it to a court in Washington D.C., well, or anywhere for that matter, the defense is going to be playing these clips of the president up there calling these defendants human scum. And uh, and arguing that this prosecution is due to unflu- uh, undue influence by the uh, the president of the United States. Really, if if uh, Barr or Durham take any of these cases to a, a jury in the uh, D.C. Circuit Court, federal court there in District of Columbia, they're never going to get a get a conviction. Because the juries in these D.C. circuit courts are made up of fellow swamp creatures. They're never going to convict Comey or Brennan or Clapper or McCabe or Strzok or Page or any of these bad actors. If you're ever going to get a conviction out of these prosecutions, you're going to have to take it out of the D.C. circuit. I don't know, uh, you know, Durham is a... Uh, a U.S. attorney in Connecticut. I don't. I don't know if the district he's from is liable to uh, have a fair and impartial jury. I would say bring it down here to Florida. Take it to Texas. The Democrats played that game. They uh, they they venue shop. And uh, and these there's no way that you're going to get a, a, a an unbiased jury to convict a fellow swamp creature. In D.C. and the president uh, going on the air and calling these these uh, soon-to-be defendants in criminal cases human scum is not helping. Feels good at the moment, but it's really not helping. 
So, you know, we've been arguing for a long time that uh, the the actual number uh, or the actual percentage of people that die from this Wuhan virus is uh, is far, far less than uh, the experts, so-called experts, have predicted. And that's because there's, uh, most people that have this virus are asymptomatic. And so if you're only testing the people that have symptoms and you're using that as the denominator to determine what percentage of people die, then yeah, you'll get a big number. You know, they're, they're, uh, they're showing numbers of, uh, anywhere from, uh, you know, one to 3% now. But if you use the actual denominator, uh, factored in with the asymptomatic infections, you get a number that's far, far lower that is actually uh, just slightly higher than the seasonal flu. And now we're finally starting to get some uh, some deep dives into this and look at, uh, you know, do some sample testing to try to determine the percentage of the population that are infected. And we're turning it's turning out that that is the case that this coronavirus is not much more deadly than the seasonal flu. And it actually has an advantage over the seasonal flu because in this case, we know exactly who the people are that, uh, that die of this. Now there, there've been about 150 or 200 cases of people that are under the age of 60 that are, uh, have no underlying medical conditions die of it. But that is, uh, you know, that's an anomaly in the population of the people that are infected, that small a number, the people that uh, by and large are dying of this, of course, are the elderly and the people with underlying medical conditions. We should have just locked them indoors and gone about our business. We wouldn't have had to crash this economy. But I've got a clip here. This is Dr. John Inoidis, I-O-A-N-N-I-D-I-S, Oandis, Oandis. He's from Stanford University, uh, and he conducted a, a study to determine how many people were, in fact, infected there in Santa Clara County, California. Come on, clip. On March 23rd, you said, ladies, Here we go. when we spoke to you on March 23rd, you said we needed more data before we could ascertain what was happening. Since then, you've been busily gathering that data and have published three studies. Let's start with the latest one, which you entitle COVID-19 Antibody Seroprevalence in Santa Clara County, California. What was the purpose of that study and what did you discover? Stick with it now. This study aimed to generate uh, an estimate of uh, how many people in Santa Clara County have been infected with the virus. And the way to find out is to try to see whether they have developed antibodies uh, to SARS-CoV-2. So we had a sample of residents in Santa Clara County uh, evaluated for the presence of uh, antibodies. And uh, the sample was uh, 3,300 people uh, who came to be tested. We estimated that based on what we saw, between uh, 2.5 and 4.2% of the population of uh, the county has antibodies, which is uh, an indication that uh, they have been infected uh, with the virus uh, uh, a while ago. What are your conclusions based on your study? 
Uh, if you compare the numbers that we estimate uh, to have been infected, uh, which uh, vary from 48,000 to 81,000, versus uh, the number of documented cases uh, that would correspond to the same time horizon around April 1st, uh, when we had 956 uh, cases documented uh, in Santa Clara County, we realize that uh, the number of infected people is somewhere between 50 and 85 times more compared to what we thought. Compared to- so 50 to 85 times more people were actually infected than what they were basing uh, or the CDC and, uh, and Burks and Fauci were basing their recommendations on. Now let's see well, how that number um, divides into the numerator to what uh, had been documented. Immediately, that means that the infection fatality rate, uh, the chance of uh, dying, the probability of dying if uh, you are infected, diminishes by 50 to 85-fold because the denominator in the calculation becomes 50 to 85-fold bigger. Our data suggests that uh, uh, COVID-19 has an infection fatality rate that is in the same ballpark as seasonal influenza. It suggests that uh, even though this is a very serious problem, we should not fear. It suggests that uh, we have solid ground to have optimism about the possibility of eventually reopening our society and gaining back our lives. Sooner rather than later, I hope. Sooner rather than later with full control and a data-driven approach. How about right now? How about now that we know the actual denominator in this this, uh – equation we go ahead and reopen and start uh, and uh, put aside all of this lunacy of closing down our entire economy we know exactly who the vulnerable populations are and you know you can tell them that they're vulnerable and to stay in the house and most of them will a few of them you know will will decide to take the risk well that's on them but this uh, this stanford university study you know, Stanford University is is uh, one of the favorites of the social justice warriors and the Democrats. And this is a this is a big study, and it's not the only one. the The Wall Street Journal article cites other studies that uh, that point out that this path that we've been on of shutting down the economy for fear of a virus that uh, has a death rate that's just slightly more than the seasonal flu was a was a, an exercise in folly. And here's another thing that's really odd. If you look at the CDC numbers, oddly enough, the number of deaths that are attributed to the seasonal flu have have nearly zeroed out. <laughs> they're not they're not calling any flu or, or I should say they're calling all flu deaths COVID-19, the Wuhan virus now. But uh Dr. Burks appeared over there on CNN with Anderson Cooper and Dr. Sanjay Gupta. And she let slip just exactly where all of these projections and recommendations came from. Do we have enough infrastructure to contact trace the way that we need to? I think that's why the criteria that you can see the gates that are uh, that the federal. Did you catch that? I can. I think you can see why the criteria from the gates are uh, uh, the federal government. I'll play it again. 
That's why the criteria that you can see the gates that are uh, that the federal government has recommended mm -hmm. are. Do we have enough infrastructure to contact trace the way that we need to? I think that's why the criteria that you can see the gates that are uh, that the federal government has recommended. Uh, so. Bill Gates Foundation has been calling the shots here. Of course, the Bill Gates Foundation wants to vaccinate everybody in the world to the coronavirus. He doesn't want to just vaccinate the vulnerable populations, the elderly and the immunocompromised. He wants to vaccinate the whole world, and then he wants to give you a digital certificate so that you can travel and work. Well, that's pretty interesting. How are you going to carry around this digital certificate? Are you going to carry it around on your cell phone or are you going to carry it around in an implanted chip? You know, I think the American people are starting to get wise to what's going on here. None of this makes any sense. The, the, the way the government has gone about this now, you know, I, I'm not blaming the president when you have so-called experts come in and tell you that if you don't take an action, 2.2 million people or more are going to die and you're not a public health expert, you have to defer to them. But now we're getting studies that are uh, directly contradicting both their projections and their models and this, uh, this uh, uh, regime that they've put together to address it. And in state after state across America, uh, beginning in Michigan, but now, now uh, showing up in Colorado and New Jersey and Florida, in Texas, people are starting to protest. And the more people protest, the more the Democrat governors dig in, calling the protesters reckless and, and uh, uh, Nazis even. There, you had um, this Gretchen Whitmer, the governor of Michigan, who's jockeying to be Joe Biden's vice presidential candidate, saying that uh, they saw Nazi flags at the protest. Well, when you dig into that topic, you find out that that Nazi flag wasn't, in fact, from the Michigan protest. It was from another uh, protest. It was from a, um, a, I think it was out in California. And it was a, a Bernie bro that was uh, doing a false flag operation. He was carrying around a, a Nazi uh, flag poster that said Trump and Pence on it. And then the cameraman uh, follows this guy around and he leaves, uh, he leaves his site, disposes of the sign, puts back on his Bernie bro t-shirt and starts protesting with the rest of the Bernie bros. And you've got CNN and MSNBC um, you know, playing these clips of the Michigan governor saying that there were Nazis at the Michigan protest. If you're wanting to worry about authoritarianism, all you need to do is look over there in New York City where the, uh, the Marxist mayor, Bill de Blasio, is calling for uh, citizens to snitch on their fellow citizens. People need to get the message. And that means sometimes making sure the enforcement is there to educate people and make clear we got to have social distancing. So now it is easier than ever when you see a crowd, when you see a line that's not distanced, when you see a supermarket that's too crowded, anything 
You can report it right away so we can get help there to fix the problem. And now it's as simple as taking a photo. All you got to do is take the photo and put the location with it and bang, bang, send a photo like this and we will make sure that enforcement comes right away. We will dispatch our stormtroopers to come and step on that. You know, you see this again and again. These uh, these so-called liberals, they're actually Marxists, either cultural Marxists or in the case of Bill de Blasio and Bernie Sanders and AOC and and the squad, actual Marxists, they always default to tyranny. And you can just look at history and see that any place this Marxist ideology has taken root, it always defaults to tyranny. They've got an impulse to tyranny that's, that's sort of built into the system. We're doing everything for everybody's own good. Serve the collective. Join the matrix. Join the Borg. And if you don't, we'll send stormtroopers to, to stomp on you. But at the same time, they're defending all of these left-wing governors. They're smearing um, Republican governors that are trying to take a more even-handed approach to this, even in the face of the federal government's guidelines. Uh, one of their favorite targets is this, uh, this governor of uh, North Dakota. I can't remember her name right off. But she refused to impose these lockdown orders in North Dakota. And then the left-wing media took great joy in pointing out that, uh, you know, they had had an outbreak of COVID-19 at a Smithfield pork processing plant. If you don't know, Smithfield, um, and you shouldn't buy their products, is now owned by a Chinese billionaire. And uh, people say, well, you know, those are just uh, Chinese uh, capitalists. Well, there is no such thing as an independent Chinese business. If they're based in China, they're subject to the dictates and edicts of the communist Chinese dictatorship. And in this case, we've allowed a Chinese company to take control of a major portion of our food supply in the United States. Smithfield is the number one pork processor in the country by far. But um, they had just um, coincidentally in this Chinese-owned factory in North Dakota that was not, you know, under a lockdown order. They had an outbreak, very localized outbreak, right there in that processing plant that's owned by the Chinese. And now this Chinese billionaire has shut down all Smithfield processing plants throughout the country. You've probably seen the headlines warning of a possible food shortage because of it. I've got a clip here. This is uh, this is stepping backwards just a little bit of Debbie Dingell. Let's see if I've got time for this clip. Debbie Dingell, congresswoman from uh, from Michigan, uh, condemning the protests in Lansing, in Washington. She. What happened yesterday was inexcusable. People did not have masks. They did not have gloves. They did not distance themselves. They had Confederate flags, swastikas. They- There's that swastika lie. It repeated again and again. It wasn't even from the Lansing protest. And where it was from, it was a Bernie bro doing a false flag operation. Blocked an ambulance trying to get to a hospital. The old block the ambulance, get the hospital um, meme. Freaking hate and fear. 
into a time that is already full of fear and anxiety is just unacceptable. There were people barehanded handing candy to children. What they did was to help spread this disease around the state more, most likely, not contribute to the mitigation, and it just made me sad. It made Debbie Dingle sad. You shouldn't make Debbie Dingle sad. They've controlled that house seat in Michigan for 88 years. The Dingles have. we got to run out to a break. When we come back, we're going to take a look at Nancy Pelosi's latest hijinks and the battle to be Joe Biden's vice presidential candidate. Right after these messages, you're going to hear two commercial breaks. And we'll be right back on Right Now with Jim Dawes on the Mojo 5 Radio Network. When the weather outside is frightful, the Hyundai Santa Fe is, hmm, what's the word? Delightful. Because it's got available H-Track all-wheel drive to make being out together better. Enter for your chance to win the newly redesigned Santa Fe, packed with all the jingle bells and whistles you need to go dashing through the snow together. To enter, visit Amazon.com slash Hyundai or scan the QR code on specially marked red and green Amazon boxes. No purchase necessary. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. If you have thyroid eye disease and your eyes feel like they're getting kicked in the backside, it might be time to discover another treatment option. To learn more, visit TreatMyTed.com. That's TreatMyTed.com. And you're back on Right Now with Jim Dawes on the Mojo 5 Radio Network. Your daily journal of news, politics, and culture from an American nationalist perspective. So we were talking about the protest in Michigan, and I played you that clip of Debbie Dingell accusing the protesters of being Nazis and trying to kill everybody with the virus. And I wanted to play you, before we left that topic, this clip of Gretchen Whitmere saying that um, if these protests don't stop, she may just have to extend this lockdown. People came and converged together in Lansing, and then they went out back to their homes across the state of Michigan. They're, you know, the odds are very high that that's they're spreading COVID nineteen along with it, and so it's that kind of irresponsible action that puts us in this situation where we might have to actually think about extending stay home orders, which is supposedly what they were protesting you better stay home you better stay off your boats you better not go for walks in the woods you better not try to buy any seeds to plant a garden or we may just have to extend this lockdown order on you see kyle it's really unbelievable what's going on and uh and as i played you that clip from burks on cnn it appears that this whole regime has been instituted at the recommendation of the Gates Foundation, who are big supporters of the World Health Organization, who are big supporters of China and the Chinese communist dictatorship that unleashed this virus on the world. And there was an interesting clip that uh, that made it through on CNN, which is something you very rarely see a bit of truth leaking through on their air. On this case, it was on Fareed Zakaria's show. Nadia, let me begin with you and ask you, um, lay out what you mean when you say that Trump is right about China. 
sure, Fareed. Hi, Kishore. Uh, Trump is absolutely right about China. Um, when he took office, he essentially uh, looked at what China had been doing over the past 15 years uh, that had been noticed, by the way, by bipartisan uh, experts, you know, both sides of the aisle in terms of its unfair trade practices, its uh, theft of intellectual property, its forced tech transfers, its complete lack of reciprocity vis-a-vis the United States. All of these activities had been noticed, as I said, by previous administrations. But President Trump decided to approach the problem in a different way. He basically said constant engagement and constant cooperation without reciprocity wasn't working. So he changed his tactics. What he talked about vis-a-vis China and what he has explained vis-a-vis China is actually not really in dispute across, as I said, a wide range of bipartisan experts. What's in dispute is his new tactics. In this, in this particular COVID situation, we have seen exactly what he has said. China's cover-up is costing us millions of lives, thousands of deaths. They have silenced and disappeared people in early December who were the first to call out the problem. They removed and destroyed evidence of the virus, bleaching wet stall markets, closing and shuttering labs, preventing people still, experts, from going to better understand the sources of the virus, the genomes of the virus. They denied human-to-human transmission for up to seven weeks from early December until January 20th. That's a long time, a long time when people are traveling. And speaking of traveling, they stopped internal, internal travel in China, but did not stop external travel which tells you a little bit about how they were thinking about the rest of the world and a little bit about how they were thinking about not caring. Well, what it tells you is if you're stopping the internal travel, but you're allowing people to leave that region, then you're purposely infecting the rest of the world with a virus that you created in a lab, either naturally or by human engineering. And on last Friday's show, I was making the argument that you know, everybody's saying, well, yeah, okay, the virus came from the lab, but it escaped by accident. We don't know that. You know, the same people that were calling me and others a conspiracy theorist for, for pointing out that it probably didn't come from that wet market. It probably came from that lab. They're now finally admitting that, the, okay, it came from the lab, but it was an accident. We know it was an accident. Why else would they do it? Well, it, they would do it because they're a communist dictatorship. And Let's, for argument's sake, say that the virus did accidentally escape the lab. Well, the the Chinese knew about it. They knew about it enough to protect their own population by locking down internal travel from Wuhan. But they continued to allow 200,000 people to fly internationally from that lockdown district. While they told the rest of the world that the virus didn't transfer human to human. That is direct evidence of malign intent. They purposely infected the rest of the world. Now, whether or not they created the, the virus to do that or it escaped that lab, really, the outcome is the same. They've crashed the world's economy. They've cost tens of thousands of lives right here in the United States and probably going to uh, you know, approach a million worldwide before it's over with. This is an evil regime, and the idea that our our leaders, including Joe Biden, they're not bad folks, folks, he said. 
want to continue this relationship with a communist dictatorship is, is foolhardy. It is insane. It's insane. You cannot trade an open, democratic, transparent society like the United States cannot couple its economy with a communist dictatorship that doesn't practice any of the norms of a, a, a liberal Western democracy and have any positive outcome whatsoever. So, you know, this weekend, it, it finally, I think Trump actually said, it, you know, we don't know if this was by accident on, or on purpose. I wish I had that clip. But what we do know is it's wrecked the economy. Here's, uh, here's Mike Pompeo appearing over on Fox News saying that at some point we're going to have to hold China accountable. And this is the president's frustration with the World Health Organization. That is the institution with the task underwritten in part by the American people and countries all around the world. It is their task to protect the world from precisely what is happening today. And that means they need to get answers and data sets, and they need to demand that from the Chinese Communist Party. Well, they're not going to demand it from the Chinese Communist Party because Tedros, the guy that's in charge of the World Health Organization, was installed by China, and he is a fellow traveler Marxist. The Chinese Communist Party needs to come clean about what took place there so the whole world can see what took place. When we do that, there'll be a time for accountability. We'll be able to attribute what happened, who did what, and uh, and we we can move on from what is now uh, an, an incident that has destroyed so much wealth, not only here in the United States, but all across the world. Wealth and lives and businesses that were built up over a lifetime, it has been an absolute disaster by, I'll say it again, malign forces in China, at the World Health Organization, and at the Gates Foundation. And so they're trying to address this with this, um, you know, this relief package, so-called Paycheck Protection Program, that is now out of money. They put in $350 billion of it uh, to it, and all of that money has run out now. They're paying people small businesses and medium-sized businesses to keep their workers on the payroll. They've run out of money. Mitch McConnell over in the Senate is trying to reauthorize another $250 billion. And Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer are holding out until they get more pork inserted in this second package, like they did the, the first for their big money donor special interests. Here's a clip uh, describing the Paycheck Protection Program. This program was built to try and save small businesses, to save jobs, and it's unacceptable, even with the fact that we know states and healthcare areas need more money too, to allow this program to go on any further when jobs, small businesses, and the economy and the recovery rely on it. So that's Chuck and Nancy's argument. Well, you know, we want to authorize this money, but we want more money. We want money for state and local governments. They want the feds to be a tax collector for state and local governments and just send the money to these uh, many of these Democrat-controlled dist- uh, districts so they can spend the money and, and plug their budget holes. In the case of Illinois, they want tens of millions of dollars to plug the budget hole in their disastrous uh, pension fund obligations that they created themselves. They want to use COVID-19, the Wuhan virus, to ride um, – you know, uh, to clear up 
their disastrous uh, uh, pension practices. So what's the problem, Nancy? Why can't you uh, go ahead and just authorize the money for small businesses and then we can deal with the the uh, state and local governments and hospitals later? Uh, we we want to, uh, we, again, support what we did with the PPP, uh, but we want to make sure that when, as it gets more money, it gets many more people get access uh, to the credit. We, we want... Uh, we want the data. We want the data. We want we want data. We don't. We, 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 well, that's not really what she wants. Let's uh, let's give her a chance to explain it again. Well, the it, but it, perhaps it might um, oh, bad, 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 bad. clear if you understand. When we talk to McConnell, he says, "Well, I think that we should do some of that, but let's see how the money that is out there is working for state and local and hospitals before we do more." But let's not see how everything is working when we do state uh, the, the small businesses. Well, we think they all need the resources. Uh, I mean, what they're doing is they're holding out for more pork. They want pork for their their uh, pet projects, just the same way they did in the the first round of the relief. They want they want to do it again. You know, they're in the minority, and so they can hold things up in the Senate through the filibuster. Mitch McConnell needs to go ahead and implement the so-called nuclear option that he's been, um, you know, eliminate the filibuster, similar to what he's doing when he installs these judges. What do you think about it, old Chuck Schumer? To give the money to the PPP program without correcting it would make no sense. You'd have still have more than half the businesses left out and getting no money. So he's saying, well, you know, half the businesses are, are getting left out, so we're, we're just going to uh, starve all of the businesses. That's a great plan. That's a great plan, Chuck. Andrew McCarthy is uh, is on there telling you what's really going on. This is only designed to keep people hired. There are 22 million reasons why the Democrats should say yes, but they sent somebody here just yeah. to object. This is exactly what Speaker Pelosi did on the passing of the CARES Act, to hold it up, to put in her policies, to bring up election law, bring up a Green New Deal and others. That has nothing to do with this. They want an election. Uh, they want mail-in ballots so that they can uh, institute their ballot harvesting schemes. They want uh, they want to bail out their uh, Democrat mayors and governors that have gotten in over their head with all of this uh, physical irresponsibility on the state and local level. Here's Mitch McConnell explaining exactly what the Democrats are up to. Even now, Senate Democrats are still blocking funding. Every Senate Republican was ready to act today. Today. This was last week. But Democrats would not let us reopen the program. So look, Mr. President, it's absolutely surreal to see Democratic leaders treat support for workers and small businesses as something they need to be goaded, goaded into supporting. This really should be above politics. So what they're doing is they're Even now, in Washington, excuse me. In Washington, they, they call this parachuting in. You get a bill that must pass, and if you're in the minority, or even uh, many, many times if you're in the majority, you take your special uh, little project and you parachute it in on that bill because they know it has to pass, and so you can uh, bring home the pork for your special interests. The Democrats did it in their uh, the first 
iteration of the CARES Act, and they're determined to do it again, and they don't care how many businesses go under while they're waiting uh, uh, for the Democrats to get on board. There's there's, uh, 200,000 now small business survival loans that are going on process just since last Thursday because of Nancy and her Democrats. And so Nancy knew she had a public relations disaster on her hands, especially after her little uh, appearance on James Corden's show where she's sitting in front of her two $25,000 sub-zero refrigerators showing off her gourmet ice cream collection. And so she came out over the weekend and appeared over there on Fox News Sunday with Chris Wallace, who is an establishment mouthpiece who apparently just allowed Nancy Pelosi to um, to write her own questions. And uh, here was her explanation on that show. So is there going to be a deal? And if so, how soon? You know, there are a lot of small businesses that are running out of money and are hanging on by their fingernails. You got to see this clip. She's grinning from ear to ear at the prospect of answering this question, why they're holding up relief funds. Yes, and, and uh, we want all of them uh, to get what uh, they're entitled to under the, under the law, and even more uh, than were. Uh, the, some of these small businesses have other requests in terms of the additional loan program in addition to the grant program, and that's part of our request as well. Uh, the money has not all been distributed, although it has all been uh, committed, and that's, that means there's no more money. They will have more money. At- so she knows they're out of money. She's been sitting on it. The first one she sat on a week before McConnell and the Republicans finally caved and gave them their pork. As soon as uh, we come to agreement, which will be soon. And I think people will be very pleased because these small businesses must thrive in a community where their, again, health is essential uh, to them opening up and they have to open up in order to thrive. Yeah, they have to open up in order to thrive. Thank you for that brilliant insight, Nancy. Could you imagine Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden? Having a conversation that sound like Elmer Fudd talking to Daffy Duck. So basically what she's saying there is right after the Republicans allow us to load up this bill with pork, we'll, uh, we'll finally pass it. And if you saw that Chris Wallace interview with Nancy Pelosi, I don't understand how Chris Wallace is not just totally embarrassed. I know if his father was still alive, he would be. Apparently it never occurred to Chris Wallace to ask Nancy Pelosi why she was sitting in front of her sub-zeros munching on gourmet ice cream instead of in Washington, D.C. doing her job. He didn't point out that you did, you pulled the same stunt the last time we had a relief bill. You held it up until you could get $350 million for a refugee resettlement program, millions of dollars for, well, tens of millions of dollars for the Kennedy Center and public broadcasting and NPR. They tried to put in uh, something to bail out the newspapers. That's probably next up on their their pork agenda. Why didn't Chris Wallace bother to play this ice cream clip and ask her if she thought it was appropriate that she's sitting in San Francisco munching on ice cream when she should be in D.C. doing her job? Oprah Winfrey wasn't going to be outdone by Nancy Pelosi and her uh, let them 
eat cake Maria Antoinette moment. And, uh, and so she took to Twitter standing in front of a stove pretending to cook when obviously she didn't cook this, uh, this meal that was in front of her. But I'm going to play you this clip and I'm going to, it's mostly visual, so I'm going to describe it to you as it goes. So you got Oprah swilling wine in front of a pot of pasta. She's pretending that she made it by uh, poking at it with a set of tongs. Now she's going for a fork so she can poke at it. So she's standing in front of her, her big commercial kitchen, cooking pesto and salmon, swilling on wine, and encouraging people to watch the One World Concert with Lady Gaga. They're, uh, they're going to have a big party over there, and uh, she's going to, to watch it together at home, she says. They raised uh, tens of millions of dollars for that concert, by the way, and guess who they're giving it to? They're giving it to the World Health Organization that's set on this virus until it was allowed to uh, infect the United States. And I guess Oprah was concerned that uh, Nancy Pelosi was showing herself to be even more indifferent than she was. So she had to go on Twitter and post that, uh, that clip while Americans are struggling to put food on the table. You got her standing in this big uh, kitchen, you know, standing in front of a commercial range, pretending that she cooked this, um, this meal while she swills wine. Biden is on the job, though, and we'll get to that in a second. I want to remind you to run on over to preparewithmojo50.com. That's preparewithmojo50.com. It'll take you to My Patriot Supply, and you better hurry because supplies are getting limited. You can get your four-week emergency food supply and save $100 instantly today, normally $297. You can get it now for $197 with free same-day shipping. You'll save $100, and you'll get 284 servings, 2,000 calories a day, breakfast, lunch, dinner, drinks, and snacks, and a 25-year shelf life. So the next time that um, the Gates Foundation want to lock you in your homes, you'll be ready. Go to preparewithmojo50.com. That's preparewithmojo50.com and get your four-week emergency food supply today from mypatriot.com. So Joe Biden, these are deep thoughts. He's, uh, he's sitting in his basement and he's, uh, he's going on Skype and, uh, recommending his, his, uh, solutions. And if you haven't seen some of these clips, you gotta, you gotta just look at the the look on the people's face. In this case, it's uh, Anderson Cooper and Sanjay Gupta that are interviewing Biden when he's making this recommendation. Um, you know, there's a uh, during World War Two, uh, you know, where Roosevelt came up with a thing uh, that uh, you know was totally different than a than the, the it's called he called it uh, the, you know the uh, World War Two. He had the world the, the war production board. Uh, well, I don't know why we don't set up something like a pandemic production board. Oh man, that's a brilliant idea. We do a we'll change the name of it. We won't call it a, a defense production board. We'll call it pandemic 
production board will operate exactly the same, but we'll rename it. That's Joe Biden's solution. There's a former Democrat representative from New York who, who said what every Democrat is in fact thinking. Here is his problem. He is a diminished man. Uh, It's painfully clear. The problem in in social media, here he is in the friendliest possible environment with carefully selected interviewers. Yesterday, he had his beautiful wife beside him, who was an amazing helpmeet to him. uh, And he still sounded weak and uh, and, and as though he's struggling uh, to create coherent answers. He is going to, to, the the perception that people get from this is that he's going to be dragged across the finish line. He's going to be stumbling across the finish line. And quite honestly, Emma, I am not sure how he gets over that. Uh, He'll have to have a lot of surrogates. uh, But, you know, if he has to have a surrogate sitting beside him to reinforce key points, um, you know, it just, it's, it's not a good look. And I'm not sure they can really surmount it. He does need to project strength, but he can't because he's not strong he's not strong he's not even uh coherent and if you saw this clip of jill biden sitting next to joe you could see the pained look on her face she was probably kicking him down underneath the table trying to stir him into some moment of coherence but uh it, it was it's painful to watch and they're talking about dragging him across the finish line there's no no real confidence at this point that he's going to get to the starting line Because surely the Democrats, surely they are not going to put this guy on the stage with with Donald Trump. Donald Trump tends to speak his mind. And Joe Biden doesn't have a mind to speak. But the jockeying for vice president has started. And of course, this is because whoever's vice president in the Biden administration will, in fact, be the president either. you know, operating the strings or when Joe Biden finally has to step down through infirmity or, you know, the 25th amendment, they asked, uh, they asked Elizabeth Warren, who had just been excoriating Joe Biden on the campaign trail, calling him a toady of the establishment, going after him for, you know, any number of things. But now she's on board the, the Biden train. If he asked you to be his running mate, would you say yes? Yes. I am so happy you just gave me a concise answer to that. Uh, yes. Yes, I would. So, you know, apparently all the Me Too stuff is just off the table now. Klobuchar, uh, Amy Klobuchar, who is uh, right now the odds on favorite to be the vice presidential pick. Apparently, the Democrats are no longer concerned with any sort of... Uh, diversity as long as it's a woman it can be a white woman and uh, they asked amy kobachar about these uh these terror reed allegations of sexual assault against joe biden and amy is no longer concerned with the me too movement uh, there were reports here in the New York Times and the Washington Post about an allegation of misconduct against Joe Biden. Uh, he has denied it. I wanted to get your response uh, to that before we go. I think this case has been investigated. I know the vice president as a major leader on domestic abuse. I worked with him on that. Um, and I think that, again, the viewers should read the article. It was very thorough. Understood. Uh, an important topic. So we did want to get your response to that as well. I know you're doing a lot of different work here. Mm-hmm. I appreciate you yeah. making time for us tonight, Senator Amy Klobuchar. 
Okay, well, that's that. That answers that question. Got to go. Got to go. We don't want to talk any more about that here on MSNBC. Thanks. Got to get back to work. See you later. Now, Amy Klobuchar was actually on the Senate Judiciary Committee and was one of the Democrats, along with Kamala Harris, that want to be vice president and were absolutely raking Kavanaugh over the coals over a a, a 35-year-old allegation that had no proof whatsoever to it. The witnesses say that she named, Christine Blousey Ford named, said they had no memory of it. They don't remember her telling them of it at the time. They didn't remember the party where it was alleged to happen. They didn't even remember Christine Blasey Ford ever actually knowing Brett Kavanaugh. But now you've got a, a woman with a charge that's much more contemporaneous who uh, told it to people, who says she filed uh, a complaint at the time. Well, we're not concerned with that any longer. Joe Biden's going to be president. I want to be vice president. Here's a clip. Uh, Stacey Abrams, who, uh, you know, still claims to be the governor of Georgia. She's trying to get on the uh, the bandwagon, too. She She's a twofer. She's a real black woman, as opposed to Kamala Harris. Or I should say she's a real African-American, as opposed to Kamala Harris, who is a Jamaican and Indian-American. And, uh, and Stacey Abrams said she would make an excellent vice president. And if you want to know what her motivation behind saying something like that is, you could uh, listen to a, uh, an interview that she conducted about a year ago. Do you think the country will elect a woman president in the next 20 years? Yes. Absolutely. Do you think they'll elect a black woman? Yes. Absolutely. Do you think they'll elect you? Yes. I do. <laughs> That's my plan. And I'm very pragmatic. That's my plan. And I'm very pragmatic. Will- they'll elect a woman. They may elect her as vice president. And then she can be president. But uh, Stacey Abrams... She still thinks she's governor of of Georgia, but I guess she's going to step down from that imaginary position to be Joe Biden's imaginary vice president. Well, that takes us to the end of this edition of Right Now with Jim Dawes. I want to thank you for joining us. I invite you back here again tomorrow right here on the Mojo 5.0 Radio Network. We'll talk to you then. This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details. This episode is sponsored by schwanns.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm. Good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details.